So um, I'm curious. I've got two questions. How many of you have been here for one or more of the previous sessions? Most, most all of you? Any, of you? any of you here for the first time? That's great. We're glad you're here. That's great you're here. And uh, how many of you were here for the sermon uh, earlier this morning? Less than half. Okay. That helps because uh, there's something in that sermon that I'm going to allude to. And um, hope, I hope it's in the second sermon uh, that you can, you can hear it again. They're not always identical, by the way. They're, they're close. They're really, really close. Um, let me pray for our time. Lord, thank you for these moments together, the space uh, for the conversation that we can have with one another and uh, your presence with us. We pray that you would teach us, that you would open the scriptures, that we might understand more of who you are, who we are, and your purposes in Christ. Nourish us with your word this morning. Amen. Um, that, uh, come on in, make yourself at home. Here's one more. Anybody else enter without? Does anybody need one? There's two more. Handouts. Front row. Um, so I, I, mentioned, I mentioned the sermon that just concluded where Nate actually took some things from last week's handout that he didn't get to. I don't know if that was intentional, but uh, he did. He, in fact, when we were talking about this, he and I are tag teaming on this little series. So for the last two weeks, I've been with the youth at Meredith's, and that's where he is right now. We're just doing the same content in two different locations, if, if you hadn't figured that out. And we're just back and forthing this. Um, by the way, next week, it will be different. We're going to take a break and have the youth in here with you and the rest of the congregation to, to meet uh, the Griffiths, who have landed, and they are here present. And so next week at this hour will be a little bit of a Q&A within right week. Um, Nate uh, explained that he didn't quite finish um, the handout from last week, and there's a, there's a section in which you don't have with you, sorry, but I'm just going to, this is part of our review, um, and that is a contrast between true and common virtue. Um, and in the sermon, he mentioned that, that Jonathan Edwards is the one who first put those categories together. There's a difference between true virtue and common virtue. Um, and you can actually hear the distinction in the labels. There's a, there's a true virtue that, that comes from uh, God's work in us, comes through us that is true virtue in, in the fullest sense of the word, virtuous, that it is, that it is um, intended for the good of others and it's done with the right motive. And that actually is the big distinction between true virtue and common virtue. There's a common virtue that, um, that describes a lot of our, the virtue that, that we see in this world and sometimes in us. And that's doing the right things uh, for, for, for reasons that are less than pure <laughs> or maybe even selfish. The example that, um, that was on the handout last week I'll mention is when it comes to parenting uh, as an example. Sometimes the, the way we would go about parenting is out of a way to protect ourselves as mothers and fathers. 
that the behavior of our children kind of reflects on us. And so we want them to do what's right and good always because otherwise we look like bad parents. <laughs> uh, that's doing the right things, parenting well, but sometimes for the wrong reasons, a selfish, a, a protective kind of thing. And so in the world in which we live, we see that all the time. We see all kinds of, of common virtue in this world. And frankly, we're grateful for it. The culture, the world in which we live is better than it would be otherwise were it not for common virtue. Um, but there's a kind of true virtue that is what is held before us and what, and what it is that God intends to see. That what we're doing is that we're doing things out of love. Um, you know, you, the husband can, can give his wife a present on her birthday because it's her birthday, and if he doesn't, he's in trouble. You know, um, you can do the right thing that's not out of love, but if it's, if it's, but if it's, and only if it's out of love, is it right? That's a New Testament ethic and part of what it means to belong to Christ, to, to have this transforming work in us. We love because he first loved us. We love not only him, but we love one another and the things that we do are out of love. And that really becomes sort of the litmus test for true virtue and common virtue. Is it really out of love? Or is it out of self-protection or out of reputation? Is that why I do what I do that, is, that looks virtuous? Um, or is it really out of love? Um, so that distinction is an important one to think about when, when we're talking about sanctification. That's actually the topic that that goes with. So week one was the gospel. The second week was the gospel applied to our hearts. And as the gospel, as we learn to apply the gospel to our hearts, it has this transforming effect on us that we're not the same. <laughs> that when we realize what God has done for us in Christ, we are then altered. <laughs> or, or in Paul's words, we're compelled, we're constrained. We, we move forward into a life of service or obedience or we want to want the will of God. And that's, and that's the result of God's work in us. So uh, the, the big words that we've talked about so far are justification, uh, that we are made right with God, that that is the gospel. It is the way that we are restored to uh, our relationship with God. It's broken. A relationship that is restored and justification is an act. It's something that takes place once. It's an act of God where, we, where, where the righteousness of Christ is transferred to us. And, and our sin is transferred to him. Justification. Somebody told me once, if, if you're ever standing in front of a group of people like I am right now, that you could have supposed that some people are fuzzy on justification. And if you've been a part of Cornerstone for a while, our hope is the fuzziness has, has been brushed away and, and you really do understand that we are justified by faith, not by works. It is, it is a gift. It is Christ's righteousness. And that is unchanging. That is your record. That is your reputation. And because of that, the Father's gaze at you is a smile. That's justification. 
We're, we're justified by his, his work and his righteousness. Now, the sanctification is not an act. It's a process that takes place over a long period of time. And we are sanctified and we are being sanctified. That sounds like a contradiction. But the reality is that when we are justified, we are set apart, which is one of the words that word means, one of the, one of the, one of the meanings of that word. <laughs> we are set apart. We are made holy. We have a holy record, but we are being made holy, right? That what is true about our record is being worked into us over a period of time. It's becoming more and more true of us. Sometimes it feels real slow. Sometimes it feels like we're going backwards, but, but that's, that's a distinction that's important to keep in mind, that justification is once for all. Sanctification is an ongoing process. And we are engaged in that. It, it does bear on how we take up God's word and how we bend our knees in prayer and how we cling to the promises of God. So justification, the only thing we bring to justification is our sin. That's the only thing we contribute to it. But in sanctification, we participate in what God is doing in us. We don't cause, we don't change our hearts. The gospel changes our hearts. But when we pick up a Bible, when we are in worship, when we are with others, we're putting, our, putting ourselves in the middle of the road of grace. We're putting, in, putting ourselves in the pathway of grace. Um, we use um, uh, this phrase around here, means of grace. And we're going to talk about that two weeks from today. One of us will. I don't know who's with you that day. But uh, the means of grace. And you hear that phrase, and, and that's what we take up in sanctification. Uh, so um, the last thing that he covered last week was root, friend, root, sins, <laughs> root, friends, root sins and fruit Sins. There's actually a better, Jeremiah uses a different word. If you've got a Bible, um, open to uh, Jeremiah 17. Uh, the roots are there, but, but Jeremiah uses this notion of, of when the gospel is at work in me, that what the gospel produces is, produces is fruit. When something else is at work in me, when my heart is rooted in something besides the gospel and the truth of who God is, what it produces is, Jeremiah's word is shrub, or um, Paul Tripp's word is thorns. And we all know what that is, that, that there's something that is always going on inside of us. Our life and our heart, is the biblical language, is rooted in something. And when it's rooted in the truth of God's word and his love for us, it bears fruit in our lives. And when it's not bearing fruit... It's because my heart is locked into something besides the gospel. Or maybe it's in addition to the gospel. But if, my, but if my heart, and this is the passage, by the way, where Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful, who can know it? That's how that passage ends. But before he talks about how deceitful my heart is and how deceitful and how we can understand it, uh, this really vivid picture language uh, beginning in verse 5. So listen to, the, listen to how this works. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength. We can actually do that in our spiritual lives, trusting in our flesh, our own abilities, our own capabilities, or our attempts. 
whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. So instead of the roses, um, bad analogy, because they have thorns. <laughs> uh, instead of fruit being born, thorns are what is the result. That explains the thorny behavior in my life and yours. That when my, my heart is rooted in something besides the gospel, trusting in my own strength, trusting in my own abilities. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So, so what's going on beneath the surface is the real question. What's going on beneath the surface in my life, in your life, in, in our lives together, in a family's life? What's going on beneath the surface? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green. Sounds like Psalm 1, doesn't it? The same image that when our roots are planted in the soil of his love, um, leaves remain green. You know, what it actually does is it gives me a little way to, to kind of... Uh, kind of diagnose uh, where my heart is when I pay attention to the behavior, you know, the, or the words or the attitudes that come out. It, it, that's, that's the giveaway of where, where my heart is rooted. If it's rooted in the soil of God's love for me, I'm no longer demanding something from you because all my needs have been met. All my needs have been met. I don't need to be righteous in your eyes because my righteousness is in Christ. And that's why I don't have to pretend or lie or deny. And if my, if my heart is rooted in the soil of God's love for me, I can not only hear your criticism, I can, I can welcome it. I can invite it. It may help me. If you help me see a blind spot, that may be helpful to me. But the only way we will ever do that is if we're rooted in the soil of God's love. Um, the, the categories that you're given there are root friends. I did it again. Root sins and fruit sins. The question then is, what is going on? Uh, what's going down beneath the surface of my life and when my, when, my, when my heart is fixed and attached to something other than the gospel, what you can expect to see and what I should not be surprised is thorny behavior, uh, bitterness, anger, rancor, pride. Uh, those are, some of that is beneath the surface that spills out. So um, those, are the, those are the things that... And what we're doing, by the way, is we're, we're rehearsing and reviewing some of the foundational notions that set Cornerstone in motion. The gospel. What are the, these are the central truths of who we are as a church, who we are as a body, that it is, that it is, that it is a gospel that is ground zero for all of this and that we are justified by faith alone, but we are in process of being changing, of change. And, and that change includes recognizing 
learning to recognizing what's going on inside of me at any given moment. What is driving the engine? What are the motivations? And I, wanna, I don't want to just do the right thing for the wrong reason. I want to do it out of love. And when I recognize it's not out of love, there's one, there's one response, and that is to repent. When I recognize that it's selfishness, and when I recognize thorny behavior or barbed language or attitudes that are un, unsanctifying or unedifying to others, what I've got to recognize is what's going on inside of me. And that is something, a conversation you can learn to have with yourself. It helps when we have it with one another. If you've got a couple of good friends who can help, who can help remind you of the gospel, who, um, who are helping you see the beauty of Christ. I'm, uh, I'm reading a, a book right now, and it's describing... Um, a revival in Uganda many, many years ago. And when the gospel took root in Uganda and began to change hearts and lives, this is how Christians greeted one another. Are you seeing your sins today? <laughs> Have you seen the cross? Have you been able to confess your sin and bring your sin to the cross and leave it there? And those were their greetings. Oh, that we might come a little closer. <laughs> To that, um, that, that what we're really doing is reminding one another of the beauty of Christ. And, um, and to the degree that we understand the gospel, we're, we're moving in that direction. We're, we're at a place where we're helping one another. But it's a conversation you can learn to have with yourself recognizing the behavior and the words and saying, whoa, 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 where'd that come from? And not waiting for somebody else to say, hey, where'd that come from? <laughs> you know, that may, that's, a, that's appropriate. You know, we, we want to exhort one another. We want to encourage one another to help one another see what's, what are the motivations that are driving our lives. And you are, you are um, a part of a body where that can occur and that's our topic for today. So that's by way of review, sorry. <laughs> uh, review and filling in some gaps. And I wanted to take enough time to do that because you've got a good handout today that Nate wrote eight years ago that um, is just, uh, I've got, everybody's got one I think by now. Let me just sort of go through what this notion is. Um, I don't have any more, sorry. If anybody could, if anybody has two that could share, there's one in need back there. We got it covered now, it looks like. Um, so the objective for the moments we have left here is to understand how the power of gospel creates Christian community by exploring the Bible's teaching on the nature and work of the church. Well, I've already hinted at that, but um, the power of the gospel creates Christian community. That's the big idea. That, uh, that there's never a picture of Christians in isolation from one another. There's nowhere in Scripture where you get that idea that he's over there, she's over there, but what you see is a community. And it's a community that is created by the gospel. That's the big idea of today. It's not just that we've decided that we agree on enough things that we have come together and formed a church in downtown Franklin. But the gospel creates this. 
Because when you are united to Christ, guess what? You are united to Christians. You're united to others. That's the big idea. To be a Christian is to be united to Christians. To be a Christian is to be united to others. Um, Paul's words in Ephesians are basically, um, we are reconciled to all who are reconciled. That's a, that's a heading for this passage in Ephesians 2 that will be somewhat familiar to you, perhaps. Remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That's who, you, who we were before Christ. Look at uh, number 1A. That's who we were before Christ. We were separated from Christ. We were alienated from community, and we were strangers to the covenant promises. And the result being that we, were, we had no hope, and we were without God. Uh, it doesn't feel like um, hopeless, for much of our lives until we realize how hopeless we are apart from Christ. And that's a part of the coming to Christ is recognizing that we've tried and we are without hope. When we're honest, we're apart from Christ, we are without hope. And the reason is without God. That's who we were before Christ. The next section that you're going to hear as I continue to read is who we are in Christ. The next verse is, but now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So in Christ, we are brought near, we're made community, and we have promises that are preached to us. Um, that's all God's doing. <laughs> it is really God's doing. And, and that, that hostility between Jew and Gentile is really what he's referring to there, um, is broken by the fact that Jew and Gentile both have access to the Father. So... <laughs> If Jew and Gentile, two ethnic groups, have, uh, have this common life together, so do we. <laughs> so do we. We have this common life together. We've been brought near. And when we've been brought near, we've been brought to one another, um, united to Christ. Um, this is D.A. Carson, a good summary. The church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe Him a common allegiance. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Natural enemies. Self-protective. Uh, we've learned how to be polite enemies to a point, you know, in, in this world, in this culture, until it's election season, you know. But, but then the gloves are off, and, and, and you, you could have different political views and a united in Christ, and there is a, there is a love for one another. There really is. 
That's why if you travel uh, internationally, if you ever have, have been a part of a church in another country for a short time, even for a visit, you'll recognize that you've got th- things more in common with them than you do some of the people that live on your street. That's the unity of the body of Christ, that we're made one. Uh, it's fascinating. And, and it says something to the world when natural enemies get along and choose to, to co-labor together and, and um, partner together. When you see these people that otherwise are different, but in Christ there is, some, there is a common, that, that says something to a world that is, that is grasping for what the church has. Uh, so here are a couple of metaphors that the church lives by. Uh, the first one is this. Is um, there's a couple of different words that could go in this blank. I'm on the back page now. Any questions before I rush on? I'm feeling like I'm in a hurry here, but uh, you're with me. You seem to be. Um, the first one is the church as temple or household. You could use either either notion. Hear the, hear the language here. This is Paul again in Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are, also, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's that picture that we belong to one another. We are living stones in this thing that, that God is doing. All, these, all this emphasis in the Old Testament about a tabernacle and a temple is fulfilled in Christ. And, and you, are, you are the temple. <laughs> you, you are the temple. We together are the temple, the holy temple in the Lord, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul says it in Galatians 6, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household. There there it is again, the household of faith. There is a structure being formed that has been formed. And um, that has some implications that might be comfortable. (laughs) Uh, You don't choose your family. Now, you've chosen Cornerstone, or some of you are choosing Cornerstone, but you don't choose your family. We're here together and and, and that's the part, that's the reality of being built together. In fact, the more diverse we are, the, the, the better the building is. The more, uh, you know, if, if Paul is distributing the gift, if, if God is distributing the gifts, as Paul says, as he determines, um, the people that we need the most are the people that are most different from us. The hand needs the, the, the foot, not, not 12 hands. And the reality is we need the diversity that, that you make up. Um, but we're being built together. Uh, you don't choose your family. Um, there's a sense in which you have less privacy or no privacy. You are really known. Uh, when you live life together, uh, things come out. Things are, are visible, and that's a good thing. You know, <laughs> And we're, but we don't retreat to the privacy of our own in, independent lives. You know, some of us will and like that, and 
That doesn't mean that we're all extroverts. It means that, that we, we belong to one another and, and that we're not isolated, but that we, that we belong to one another in that sense. And, and, I'm, and I'm known in that regard. Um, and no boundaries. You're taking a huge risk, you know, in this. That's the church's temple. Um, any comments or questions? Yeah. Well, the church becomes your family. And um, I'm on the prayer team as our We pray for the church. Yes, you do. Yeah. But I pray for the church as a whole. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. Yeah, your burdens become my burdens. I mean, that's a part of it, to bear one another's burdens, uh, to pray, for, to love one another. When you think about all those one another passages in, in the New Testament in particular, um, it covers a lot of ground. <laughs> There's a lot of one anothering that we are, that goes with this. And praying for one another is certainly at the heart of it all. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, the church is temple and be the church as body. I alluded to this. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Um, we are um, members of one another, and that's the, the very vivid language that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are part of a body. Uh, you're, you may be a hand, a foot, uh, a kidney, you know, whatever, but you are needed. You are desperately needed in the body. We are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, uh, Paul again says in Romans 12. So there's no independence. You're profoundly interdependent. Um, you're, you're not self-made. You're made by others. I grow when you use your gifts. I mature, Paul says, when you use your gifts. I can't make myself um, into what God intends me to be unless you are using your gifts in, in our lives together. There's a corporateness about it. Um, no more, no strings attached. You are responsible to and for others. Uh, and that comes with the fact that we're a part of a body. So... I think rightly, um, the way this handout works and lands is it moves right into the membership vows that most of you have made uh, here that call Cornerstone Home. These are, these are vows that, that are used in all Presbyterian churches in America. Uh, these, these weren't vows that, that any 
people sat around and thought, what we should ask, what is it that we should ask of our members? What, but these are these come out of our larger denomination, and and capture what we believe the New Testament says about belonging to Christ and to one another. Um, somebody said we would never ask or require anything that that God doesn't. Uh, that's a pretty good way to go about thinking about vows that the vows that you have made and you hear from time to time um, on a Sunday morning here, by the way, when you hear those, you're urged to not simply listen, but to, but to remember, <laughs> to remember your own. Uh, remember your own coming to faith in Christ. And they're, they're almost like, it's almost like renewing your marriage vows, except you're renewing membership vows every time you hear them. Um, vows like, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, without hope, before Christ, without hope, save in his sovereign mercy? Um, and that's answered with a firm, I do, do you. Uh, acknowledge yourself to be a sinner, um, justly deserving his displeasure without hope, saving his sovereign mercy. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? Do you receive and rest upon him alone? That's a critical phrase, <clears throat> resting upon him alone. And, and the alone part means the gospel plus nothing. <laughs> I'm resting in Christ plus nothing. It's not Christ plus my best efforts or Christ plus my devotional life or Christ plus my service to the church. We'll get to that. But you're resting on Christ alone and nothing else uh, for salvation as he's offered in the gospel. And now in response, do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance? Here's a key phrase in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. Um, apart from the grace of the Holy Spirit, don't dare make that pledge. <laughs> but, but in reliance upon the, the grace of the Holy Spirit to equip and enable and empower you and to sink your heart again and again and again into that gospel so that fruit is born and not shrubs and thorns. Relying upon his gracious work in us that we will endeavor to live as becomes or fits or th that is like a follower of Christ. I'm, I'm agreeing to order my life around the purposes of God in the world. His purposes for me, his purpose for the church. That's what it means to follow Christ, to love God with all my heart, to love and to do all those one another's. And that's moving into what it looks like to be a part of a fellowship because um, uh, we, because we're not alone. And that's why number four is there. Do you promise to support the church? That, that includes, but it goes beyond dollars. I hope you know that. It's, when it says support, it's not limited to financial support, but it includes that. Uh, it is to say, yes, I see that what God is doing here is... Um, a good investment as well as obedient to his purposes. So I am going to um, give of my time and my resources 
for his purposes here. That that is now something important to me to, to see the work of the gospel flourish and, um, and, to, and to let those dollars land in the hands of, of leaders that you have selected to make strategic decisions about where some of those dollars go uh, to church planters or to missions or to um, works in town or to um, uh, new windows. You know, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of things that go into supporting the worship and work of the church. And then it says, to the best of your ability, recognizing that we're at different places, uh, we're at different seasons, um, but, but what does it look like to support the worship and the work of the church to the best of your ability? That's, that's the goal. And when you read about how that's described in Old and New Testament, it is they gave generously. They gave uh, gladly uh, to the work of the church. Uh, but it also includes your abilities include in, in terms of gifts. And so it means how has God gifted you? How has God equipped you to do that Ephesians 4 part that we were reading about? As each part does its work, each of you has a part. Everybody has a part. This is not a bus with, with Nate driving the bus and you're in the back. You know, that's not what this is. Um, but we're collectively engaged in God's work in Franklin and beyond and in one another's lives. So you have a spiritual gift. In fact, I would argue gifts. You have a cluster of spiritual gifts. What are those and how has God made you? And, and where is it that you can use what God has given you for the common good is how Paul describes it in Corinthians, for the common good. When you use your gift, there is a result. When I don't use my gift, there's also a result <laughs> and, and not a pretty one. You know, it can, it can slow, it can inhibit the, the growth and the maturity of the church if I sit on my hands. And so what does it look like to get off my hands and on my feet and into your life? Sometimes that will be, I'd like to hear from, from some of you, where have you found gifts being used in your life, either, either yours or others in your life? Where does that happen? In what context? Yeah, March. I have a for oh, yes, you do. <laughs> a burden and a gift of some sort. Yes, it's, yeah, so... Yeah, so prayer is, has become job one, you know, for, for Marge and a few others. Um, not that the only thing that, that, that Marge is doing or others, but, but that is something that is a contribution to the life and the work of the church as they gather uh, weekly to pray. Yeah. Others? Doesn't have to be about you. How have how have you seen gifts show up in your life from others? Mm -hmm. you okay. Sings. Sharon sings. Yeah. Okay. Teaching, singing. Yeah. There's there's leading that goes on here on a Sunday morning. That's great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, good one. Have you received it? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, I mean, that is a, uh, 
that is a great uh, example. I mean, we're all called to be hospitable, right? To, uh, to move toward, uh, whether it's opening uh, your home for someone or moving toward them, someone else in their need. Uh, when somebody ends up in the hospital, this church has done well at, at rallying and, and providing meals. Um, when we know about those things, as soon as we know about those things, there's, there's, there's a team assembled. If you'd like to be part of that team, that team would love for you. Uh, to jump in to that, to, to do that kind of thing. That's great. Good example. Anything else? Serving. Serving? Like what kind of said that? I did. Oh. Mercy. Serving in mercy? Yeah. Not me. Yeah. Well, you can point to that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That is the work of the body. And that mercy team needs others who, who either have mercy hearts or who want to. <laughs> you know, there's a part of that too. They're saying, I think, I think mercy matters to God. Let me be a part of that. I may not have the gift of mercy, um, but I want to be a part of something that is important to the heart of God. So, see Todd. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carry this, exactly. Sometimes it's simply being with somebody in the midst of all that. You may not have all the resources or answers or words, but simply being with somebody who's going through hardship is, is vitally important and crucial. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah. 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 Like specifically, I can tell them, and this is what my flesh wants to do right now. I'm really angry and mad. Talk me off this ledge. And they'll speak into our, our lives. And so that those kind of things, I think, are, I think that happens a lot. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one of the images that I hope you're getting is that we're not, I, we're not doing this solo. Uh, the, 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 the attempts that I do, that I make to live my Christian life independent of you don't work very well. In fact, they usually fail and actually make things worse. But when I recognize that God has given us to one another, that we're not isolated. Now we may have lifestyles that we may live in different parts of the town and that makes it difficult or harder, but it does not make it impossible. Um, and it's worth pursuing of being a part of a body. Um, some of you probably could talk about home fellowship groups where, where those kinds of relationships are formed. We really think of home fellowship groups as a place where, where we are formed. It's one of the ways, one of the venues where change takes place, where relationships are formed, where burdens are born. And, um, and if you're not a part of a home fellowship group, I would urge you to think about that. Or some other, there are men's groups, there's women's groups, 
there, but small groups where you are known and are where you know others and lives intersect. The last vow is to submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and to promise to study its purity and peace. I'll just say one thing about that. And this is a phrase I will sometimes use when, when I'm doing the vows up here to explain them. And it's this, that you're promising to love God, to love these people and let them love you. And you're also promising that when you wander and we all wander, is to invite the church to walk with you through that back to Christ. That's what that last vow is all about. To submit to the government and discipline of the church means I know I need you. We need one another to help us keep our eyes fixed on Christ and to see his beauty and to see his, the loveliness and for me to see the foolishness of my life when I choose to, to, to live any other way. So help me. Help me see what I don't. Speak into my life. That's a part of what it means to be a temple, being built, a household, uh, a body with arms and legs and feet and hands and kidneys. Um, the church needs you and your not just your contribution, but your life. It's a, it's, it's, we're, we're united to one another uh, in his purposes. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this work that you're doing and how the gospel creates community. We pray that you would sink our hearts deeper into the gospel, that, that we would see that what we are doing is out of a love for you. Help us to see when we are doing it uh, for any other reason and help us to, to lay aside self-protection in order to take hold of this common life that you've called us together. Give us friends who know us, who know how to pray for us, uh, give us, uh, Lord, opportunities to use our gifts in the lives of one another and use our resources, our time, our talents, our, our dollars, all for your glory. For the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen. So next week, uh, it's the Griffiths right here, a Q&A, time to meet uh, them as they have landed in our midst. And uh, we'll be back in this series two weeks from today.